The Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards, sponsored by Investec, are open for entries. If you are an entrepreneur-led business bringing radical change to its sector, please apply at www.spectator/innovator. We are looking for entries all across the UK, and our closing date is the 4th of July. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. My guest today is, many people believe, a victim of the progressive ideology that has gripped the Church of England. He's called Calvin Robinson, and you may well have come across his name in the media over the past few days. In addition to his work as a TV presenter, he spent the last couple of years training to become a priest in the Church of England. But now, the Diocese of London has decided it doesn't want him to be ordained. Various people have told him that his conservative views are too divisive, which is a bit rich, you might think, coming from a church whose senior bishops seem to spend most of their time making partisan left-wing statements with which many of their flock would disagree. Senior figures in the Church of England seem to have taken particular offence but Calvin's claim that the Church of England isn't, in fact, institutionally racist, as it claims to be. They're all white, by the way, and Calvin is mixed race. But that didn't make any difference because he'd expressed the wrong opinion. Anyway, the upshot is that Calvin has decided that he doesn't actually want to be ordained into the official Church of England. Not just because of the way he's been treated, but because he thinks that its commitment to the gospel is being undermined by its embarrassing obsessions with the latest secular liberal fads. I spoke to him earlier. So, Calvin, you've decided not to go forward with ordination as a deacon in the official Church of England, and they have said they don't want you. It seems to be a very complicated row. That yeah. you suspect, and I suspect and everybody else suspects, that your conservative political opinions, often expressed on Twitter but also on GBTV, have quite a lot to do with it. Because, frankly, your faith doesn't fit in terms of your ideological perspective, which isn't, in my opinion, at all extreme but rather sensibly, if pungently, conservative on a number of issues, and a few years ago wouldn't have caused any trouble at all, and probably represents the views of huge numbers of Church of England churchgoers. But the hierarchy of the Church of England don't like it. There were clearly complaints about your views from quite an early stage. And I wondered, rather than focusing on the details of the individual row, I wanted to talk about what I've seen over the last few years, which is an alarming culture shift in the Church of England, where hand-in-hand go a drift towards identity politics, progressive ideology, very much following the latest secular fad, always, and a centralised bureaucracy that really sort of enforces a particular ideological line and can be quite hypocritical. So, for example, the Reverend Gerald Robertson Brown put out a really horrible tweet, basically attacking the cult of Captain Sir Tom Moore, the heroic old gentleman who raised so much money for charity at the age of 99, died at the age of 100, I think, effectively implying it was a cult of white supremacy. And that was okay 
the church apologised for him, but that was okay. It seems to be all right for people to hold pungent left-wing views in the Church of England, but not conservative right-wing views. And I wonder if I could just ask you about this business of the bureaucracy and the ideology going hand in hand. Well, you mentioned the uh, Gerald Robinson Brown situation. I wasn't going to bring him up, but the church didn't actually apologise for what he said. And, and they doubled down because the church has jumped on the critical race theory bandwagon. And we're seeing it only today, yesterday. The church is still putting out content seeped in this American political ideology that is completely incompatible with the faith and completely incompatible with British culture. During my training, I've I've got actually screenshots I need to show you of um, the courses that the, that the church puts on. One of the ones that I didn't actually manage to get to was, I've got a screenshot of the slide in front of me here. The first two questions for white clergy, the second two offer black and other clergy of colour. So the questions they're addressing to people are different based on the colour of their skin in these training sessions. The first two, which are for white clergy, are how aware would you say you are about the lived experience of your black brothers and sisters now and in the past? And are there times when you might have disengaged with this issue? Why? What does true repentance look like? So it's, it's the question of, you know, clearly these people are different to you because they have a different skin colour. And are you overtly racist or covertly racist? You know, have you disengaged from this issue? That oh, that means you're a covert racist, uh, or have you? Or are you are you aware of your racism? It's it's this divisive, toxic ideology that's been debunked so often. And didn't you know, this week, didn't St Paul on. say something about in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek? I mean, doesn't, <laughs> it, doesn't this go acts, against yeah. one of the core beliefs of Christianity, which is that all human beings are equal in the eyes of God and that you're really not defined by these external things, but by, you know, the state of your soul? Absolutely. And in Galatians, you know, we're one blood, one nation. But, you know, this week the church put out a statement. We fully sympathise with concerns over racism within the church and wider society. Again, they're implying institutional racism in the country and the church. Um, the church has been actively engaged on this issue for some time. The Archbishop's Anti-Racism Task Force, I mean, why does a church have an anti-racism task force, issued its report from Lament to Action, proposing a suite of changes to begin bringing about a change of culture in the life of the Church of England. This work is now continuing with the Archbishop's Racial Justice Commission. So they've got a Racial Justice Commission, an anti-racism task force, okay, which is setting out a compelling agenda for change and will report to the Archbishops at regular intervals with recommendations to help the Archbishops fulfil their commitment to identity, respond to and root out systemic racism in the Church. The only identity the Church should be interested in is identity rooted in Christ. Well, what does systemic even mean? Indeed, what does it mean? It's, it seems to be that the church is suggesting that as an institution, it is racist or they are racist. And I think that that's actually problematic because it's besmirching the general population of the church. You know, to say that we're systemically racist is an insult to the church's law congregations and priests. It's a smear in a way, and they need to absolutely stop that. <laughs> I've seen Nick Timothy tweeting about this. I've seen Capel Loft tweeting about this. I've seen people who are on the left of politics, so not on my political side uh, in a lot of these situations, tweeting about this. It's not a left versus right issue. It's not a political issue in that sense. It is an ideology that has replaced the faith. And speaking personally, but I, you know, I'm white and I'm not an Anglican, but I did cover the Church of England for many years, and I never encountered 
racist Anglicanism. I've seen racism in other quarters, but never racist Anglicanism. Now, you're mixed race. Have you encountered racist Anglicanism as opposed to racism in other quarters? Not particularly myself, but even if I had, I would put that down to, you know, they, they talk about these lived experiences, which is just a stupid word for anecdote. But I would put that down to my personal lived experience, and I would have put that down to malicious and or nasty individuals. I wouldn't paint that as an entire institution or, or a system being racist, unless it was actually the system, unless, unless there were hurdles in place that prevented me from going to church or prevented me from receiving communion or present, prevented me from perhaps becoming ordained, then I might suggest that the system itself is racist. But if I'd experienced elements of racism from, just from people within the church, that would be those individuals and they would be the ones that should be responsible. Why are senior people in the Church of England and the army of bureaucrats that they employ so comfortable slipping into this jargon, which really has no roots at all in Christianity or the Church of England, but as you say, comes from um, American secular progressive ideology. And this has been you know, taken up by the, the public sector and in fact most public institutions in Britain. But why is the Church of England, and I might say the Catholic Church increasingly, and I'm sure the nonconformist churches, why are all these Christian bodies so comfortable addressing these secular issues? Do you think, in some sense, they don't want to talk about theology and doctrine? Absolutely. So if the church is putting out a statement on race, the church has every right to put out a statement on race, but it should be rooted in scripture. It should be rooted in the messages of the gospel. And it shouldn't be just perpetuating this Americanized politics. And that's the, that's the great shame of this. This is why the statements like the one that I just read out are so disappointing, because there was, there was no scripture in that at all. It was 100% American politics. Likewise, we've seen also this week, as we record, um, I think Billy Graham's son is coming to the UK to share the gospel. So the church uh, has reacted and the cathedral in Sheffield have draped an LGBTQ++ flag on the altar. Now, I would suggest that that's sacrilege. You know, they've replaced the crucifix with a political flag. And I can I can't honestly see their perspective in that they're trying to be welcoming and inclusive and and yeah, we are here for your community too, but they're forgetting that inclusivity it means welcoming people to be changed through an experience with Christ. It does not mean watering down our values and taking on another set of values, and it certainly doesn't mean replacing our faith with another religion. And that's what's happening here. It's not so it's not just race, it's sexuality, it's gender, it's all of the very, very um, prominent debates that are going on in our society. And a lot of them are debates, you know, the transgender one in particular, there isn't a settled opinion on what even constitutes a man or a woman at the moment anymore. So these are very heated and live debates where the church shouldn't have taken a political stance. The church, church should be looking to scripture for the answers. And I think it's worth pointing out that they're not just taking a political stance, but actually in many ways they're taking a far left political stance yes. in that the LGBTQ, add as many initial as you like, lobby doesn't represent gay people the whole, the entirety of the gay community, nor, and there are lots of gay people who, you know, actually don't think in terms of belonging to a gay community, but just are gay. So the LBTQ yeah. thing is really being, you know, forced upon many gay people who don't particularly like the rainbow flag or the tedious Pride Week or all the rest of it. And the transgender 
ideology debate seems to me a fad, seems to me a hysterical epidemic of the type that Elaine Showalter identified in her, her brilliant book, Histories, written in the 1990s when people were worried about different things. But it's, I think, a passing fad, but one in which the church has invested so heavily. It's as if they're trying to be, you know, they want to be the cool kids. They want to be part of the cool gang. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I've got lots of friends who happen to be homosexual. It's not the most important thing about them. It's just how they are. But they don't, don't see themselves as part of a gay community because their sexuality is just who they're attracted to. It's not a community that they're involved in. And the church shouldn't be embracing different communities in that regard or taking on board other communities in that regard. The church should be a community. It should be welcoming people that ha happen to be homosexual as well as heterosexual. But again, choosing to live a life in Christ. And that's the important part there. It should always come back to Christ. And at the moment, we see the church is trying to take on board the values of these other communities. And, you know, the, the LGBTQ plus 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 community isn't one that we, we should be looking to for direction because the whole pride movement, I mean, pride is a sin first and foremost, so it's not a movement we should be t joining. But the whole pride movement is centered around overt sexualization and i know that's controversial to say but this is why a lot of a lot of my uh, conservative homosexual friends don't take part in the pride parades and, and the gyrating and, and the, the rainbow flags everywhere because it doesn't seem to fit in line with their way of life and their standards and their morals and i think you can be pro homosexual person without being pro pride LGBT community, if that makes any sense. It certainly makes sense. And I think there's a deeper question, which is identity politics encourages people to think rather narcissistically about themselves all the time, who they identify with, their own personal story, their own journey. There's an endless inward focus, a celebration of yourself. Even the process of apologizing, the endless ritual apologies, are, I think, a way of drawing attention to yourself in a way that will earn you brownie points. And I think it distracts people from the message of the gospel, which is so much about helping other people. Absolutely, 100%. It is, you know, we live in a time where the individual is his or her own God. We've forgotten that there's something bigger than us, something more important than us. And that means that we don't we no longer have this sense of moral duty and obligation to those around us because we're so focused on our own realities and you could say actually our own fantasies because we, we create our own world and everyone else has to subscribe to the values of our world otherwise they are oppressive or they're 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 offending us or they're committing a hate crime you know just again and as we record this one of our parliamentarians Stella Creasy has come out and said actually women can have penises and it's like well we know that's biologically untrue that's a, that's a statement of untruth you know some people might want to believe that but that is very much their belief in their own reality and you cannot condone people to 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 live within your reality it's not acceptable I wanted to ask you about the direction in which this ideology flows, because I know from surveys, and you know from surveys, that the average Anglican churchgoer 
is probably more likely, in fact certainly more likely, to vote Conservative than Labour. Much less socially Conservative than they were 20 years ago, but then that's true of everybody. But nonetheless, not naturally woke, don't overuse that word, but not naturally woke, and certainly not obsessed with the issues that seem to obsess the upper levels of the hierarchy and the bureaucrats that they employ. I mean, all these bishops seem to have curia and you know, large numbers of staff. Not only is there a huge disconnect with the way so many ordinary Anglican communicants think about life, but also it's draining money out of the Church of England. I've had Marcus Walker on the podcast not so long ago talking about the desperate financial burden that this ideology is basically laying on the average parish. No, 100%. They're wasting money, splashing around. I mean, personally, the parishioners of London spent at least £20,000 training me for ordination when the bishops decided, before even sending me to training, that they probably weren't going to see the process through. So they are playing with people's money. But the, the thing is, you know, I'm sure Marcus Walker articulated it better than I could, but the church commissioners have vast swathes of cash that they could be using for the purposes of supporting parochial ministry of supporting the parish setting which is supposed to be the hub of every single community it's supposed to be the 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 true element of diversity where you've got old people and young people together black people and white people men and women and just people from all different backgrounds united in christ and it always comes back down to that doesn't it you you know you've mentioned it a few times that it's all about our personal identities how do i how do i identify am i mixed race first am i British first? Am I homosexual, heterosexual, transgender first? I should be Christian first. And one of the things I've noticed is that when challenged, the people who uphold and enforce these ideologies, I think on ordinary Anglicans, become really angry and quite nasty. There's not just a culture of bureaucracy, but there's a culture of very intolerant bureaucracy, almost of suppressed anger. Yeah. at being challenged. And we have this, I'm sorry to say, in increasingly under Pope Francis in, in, in the Catholic Church, in the, in the Vatican, in the Curia, in various dioceses, just a sort of anger at anybody expressing a view that might disrupt their plans. Yeah, absolutely. One of the bishops took issue with the fact that I don't see any evidence of institutional racism in the United Kingdom and or in the church. I see lots of lots of evidence of racism, and that needs to be addressed. But I don't see the institution itself as being racist. I think that devoids people of responsibility. But anyway, one of the bishops took it great issue with that, and has been maintaining a, a sustained campaign against me to the other bishops for the entirety of my training. However, one of the other bishops took to the Church Times this week, and bear in mind, none of the bishops have given any public statements, not to the Mail on Sunday, the Daily Mail, the Telegraph, the Times or any of other major outlets that have covered my story. None of them have given any statements other than there aren't enough curacies in London for Calvin, which is an outright lie. The, the, one of the bishops gave a statement to the Church Times, which is the, the mouthpiece of the establishment. The statement was, we are so, I'm sorry to hear Calvin is so angry. I have never expressed anger. And you, you know, you've just rightly put, pinpointed it. They are angry at being challenged on their hard left ideology. But it's projection. It's, it's that gaslighting. It's, oh, I'm sorry to hear that Calvin is angry about this. I have expressed sadness, disappointment, despair, heartbreak. I have never expressed anger. Well, I understand exactly what you're saying. And I also can understand why you decided that ministry in the Church of England, at least as it's presently constituted, isn't for you, but you are going to be ordained nonetheless, isn't that right? I am, God willing. 
Um, the Gafcon movement really stood out to me because it reaffirms orthodox Anglicanism. And I am an Anglican at heart. You know, a lot of people have been reaching out saying, you join the, join the Roman church. And I just don't feel called to, to the Roman church. I am an Anglican through and through. And I just believe that the Church of England has left me. I don't believe I've left the Church of England. I think it's left behind uh, the moral compass of this land and it's left behind the faith over the last few years, increasingly rapidly. Um, but Gafcon. So, if you explain what, just briefly explain what Gafcon is. But so, Gafcon is a global movement of. So, obviously, the Anglican Communion is is larger than just the Church of England, and in Africa on the continent, it's, it's a lot more orthodox and a lot stronger in the faith than it is over here. But in North America, well, in two thousand and eight, there was a Jerusalem Declaration that a lot of Anglican leaders got together and said, "Look, we can see the direction the Church is going. You know, introducing things like homosexual marriage, which clearly goes against Scripture, and rebaptizing people if they if they." claim that they've changed gender which is not possible again in the bible and you know it's not about you know we have to show love to these people and, and support and encourage and be compassionate to these people but we cannot change scripture around their perceived realities and the gafcon movement said look we, we need to stand by orthodox christian doctrine in North America, there was a split away from the Episcopal Church and the ACNA, the Anglican Church of North America, was formed. It's growing, it's thriving, and it's just sticking to Christian principles and Christian teaching when the Episcopal Church is chasing societal norms, much like what we see in Canada and in the Church of England. How do you think that um, what would be a completely unfamiliar movement to most Anglicans could take root in a country where the Church of England is just so established? It's a question of your local parish church, which is, you know, might, if you're in the country, be hundreds of years old. It's kind of difficult to start something new, how are you going to do that? Because GAFCON has very little presence in Britain at the moment. Yeah, it does. Um, I'm hoping to provide a bit of momentum uh, to at least use all of this media backlash to at least pe- let people know that there is an alternative. But of course, in this country, we have the established church, and that is a chokehold on faith in this country because it, it almost has a monopoly on Anglicanism. Uh, and that's a shame because it's not sticking to its roots. I think if the Church of England was disestablished, it might mean that other bodies could thrive better. Not just Ang- Anglican bodies, but you know the, the Church of Rome could thrive better in this country too, as, as well as other denominations. Um, I'm not entirely sure being established works anymore when the Lord's spiritual in the Houses of Parliament are no longer providing that moral compass and are actually just either opposing conservative policy because they're left-wing or just chasing societal norms and secu- on secular issues and not standing up for the faith. I wonder what the worship will be like in this church that you'll... Is it, is it a church that's been planted? Yep, so I've, I've been a, a assigned a church in London. It's got a very small congregation, so I'm kind of replanting or planting around it, so help, helping to grow it. The worship style is traditional Anglican, so it's prayer book. God willing, if I'm ordained, I'll be wearing a cassock, surplus, scarf, a traditional Angl- Anglican. Okay, because the church style. where you were going was Anglo-Catholic, and you would have been wearing a chasuble ball, and there would have been incense and all, all yeah. the rest of it. So it sounds yeah. as if you, you'd be moving down the candle, as they say, a fair bit, and becoming more Protestant in outward liturgy, as it were. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that, because my, my theology remains the same. I don't mind adjusting my aesthetics. I don't think that a chasuble is is important. I, I mean, I like a bit of incense because I like to have all of the senses triggered in in, in the Eucharist during Holy Communion. But I don't think that uh, 
I'm, I don't have preferences on vestments. I'm not one of those people that sits around and staggers eBaying the latest vestments from France or whatever. That's, you know, that's not me. I know the type. How can people find out about this new church and this new venture? Um, so evangelicalcatholics.co.uk is my website. They can pop their email address in there. And once the church is ready, everyone is going to be welcome. I've had a lot of emails saying, can you please broadcast the services? But I don't think I'm going to at first because I'd like it to be rooted in place. And I think it's very important that people have a sense of community and a sense of belonging. And I think there's a detachment there when you bring the internet into it. So at some point, I might broaden the horizons in that respect. But I think at first, it would be nice to get people sitting in the church and being part of it. Well, Calvin, I think you've had an absolutely horrible experience. I'm sorry we can't go into more detail about precisely who did what, but uh, libel law being what it is, that's very (laughs) difficult. But I'd just like to wish you the very best of luck and hope that you'll come back on the podcast when your church is established and tell us how it's going. Thank you, I'd love to. And I hope at some point you can come to my church. Be a great pleasure.